In just a minute, we're going to take our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, but I want to sing one more song. If you would stand with me for this last song, number 377, Jesus, the very thought of thee. I think we introduced this a couple of months ago. It's been a couple months, maybe three, four months ago. I don't know. How many of you remember this? Jesus, the very thought of you, the thought of thee. Just a couple of you. Two, three, four of you. Well, we'll reintroduce it then tonight. Number 377, if you need it in your book, we'll sing all four verses. It goes along with the sermon tonight. I love this song. Jesus the Take your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Anna will sing that as a closing hymn. Philippians chapter number 3 this evening. Having entered into the new year, just three days into it, I know many of you are in pursuit of new ambitions. And ambition is certainly... A good thing, I think if we have the strength, physically and mentally, uh, we should be ambitious. Whether it's ambition in finances, whether it's ambition in fitness, business, personal relationships, uh, education, uh, any other new ventures or even spiritual matters, ambition is a good thing to possess. It's a good thing to have. I personally don't do New Year's resolutions. Uh, that's simply because that's how I'm wired. I just don't... I, my, I'm, I'm a very ambitious person, but my ambitions don't coincide with the new year. I get ambitious about something at any time of the, at any time of the year, and I want to start that ambitious project right away as soon as I can. So I'm not really a New Year's resolutions types of, type of person, but some of you uh, are geared that way. You do major reflections at the end of the year, and you resolve to do new things in the new year. And whether you do New Year's resolutions or not, uh, we should all be ambitious. We, we should all have ambitions in life. And some of us, of course, are more ambitious than others. That's just how we uh, 
Uh, that's how our personalities are. We're just more driven. Maybe you're more driven than someone else. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but we should all be ambitious. We should all have ambitions in life. And in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul gets intensely personal with the church at Philippi. In our text, Paul gives us the ambition, the life ambition of the Apostle Paul. It's not a long list. In fact, it's really only one thing with a few different aspects to it. And indeed, this is inspired scripture. So this is not just the ambition of the Apostle Paul, but the Holy Spirit uses the personal testimony of Paul to give us what ought to be the ambition of every Christian. Our text contains what ought to be the life goal for every Christian here. And we see it in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That was the pursuit of the Apostle Paul, specifically the beginning of verse 10, that I may know him. That is the life goal of the Apostle Paul, and it is the pursuit of every true believer. Now that's not to suggest that all other ambitions are a waste of time, or uh, are they contradictory, in, 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 contradictory to our pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. But rather, as a follower of Christ, as a believer, our primary pursuit in this life is of Jesus Christ. This is the dominant pursuit. It is the dominant ambition of every believer here. It is the one pursuit that all other pursuits fall secondary to. It is the one ambition that, that, that dictates what other ambitions we allow into our life. And on the third day of the new year, I find it fitting to simply remind us tonight that this is our life ambition, to know Him more. And I simply want to remind you tonight do not get distracted from that one ambition. Do not forget the ambition of the Christian to pursue Christ, to know Him more. Maybe you're here and those other ambitions of life have captured your mind more than your ambition to know Christ. I want to remind you tonight that you should be following after the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here and you've just grown apathetic. You've grown cold in your pursuit to know Jesus more. And I'm here to call you back and remind you that there is nothing worth pursuing more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the simple question that the text demands that we ask and answer of ourselves tonight is, do you want to know Christ more than anything else? Do you want to know Christ more than anything else? And before we jump into this part of the passage that we'll focus on tonight, verse 10 specifically, I want us to see the logical progression that leads Paul to expressing his life ambition in verse number 10. In the verses that precede our text, Paul is teaching that Christ is sufficient and satisfactory for our salvation. In verse number 3, Paul says at the end of the verse that we have no confidence in the flesh. And the idea that Paul is establishing here is that no one can truly be satisfied. Our deepest needs cannot be satisfied by the works of the flesh. And if anyone knew that, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul was, before his salvation, a model of fleshly, fleshly works. He had the greatest resume that, that, that the flesh could possibly produce. And in verses 4 through 6, Paul gives us the resume, the, resume, the accomplishments of his flesh. Before his salvation, Paul was not so ho-hum, religious-in-name-only type 
of Jew, but he was zealous. He had elite zealotry in his following of religion. He was born into the right family, as he says in verse number 4. He was concerning zeal. He was so, so zealous that he was willing to persecute the church. It doesn't get any more zealous than willing to inflict violence upon your religious enemies. Concerning the righteousness of the law, he was blameless, as he says. Uh, what a statement. He was blameless concerning the righteousness of the law. Concerning uh, the law, he was a Pharisee. And you remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5. He said, except ye exceed, except ye exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Of course, in that passage, the Lord was speaking to the fact that they were missing the inward part, their need for inward fidelity to the law of God. But at least they had the outward conformity. In terms of outward conformity, they had it. They tithed, they prayed, they fasted, they did all that they were supposed to do outwardly. They were not conformed to the law of God or to the will of God inwardly. But Jesus said, except ye exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the Apostle Paul uses these verses to point out that he had the resume. He had the accomplishments. He had checked the boxes. He had, he had dotted the I's and he had crossed the T's. And yet, at the end of the day, he still found in, his deepest, in, the, in the deepest part of his heart there was something missing. And it leads us to verse number 7 where the Apostle Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. The day that the Apostle Paul met Christ, he realized that the accomplishments of the flesh were not going to satisfy what he really needed, what he really longed for in his heart. And he realized that Jesus Christ was who he, had, who he, who he should have been pursuing all along. He realized that Christ was going to give him what he needed and what he longed for in his deepest longings. And Paul is describing in these verses what happens to all of us when we meet Jesus Christ in salvation. When you met Jesus Christ, you realized that He satisfied the deepest longings of your heart, that He met the greatest needs in your life. If you would have offered me the whole world in exchange for Christ after I met Christ at salvation, I would have laughed at such a laughably cheap offer for what Christ had provided for me. Salvation makes a radical difference. And one of the ways that salvation transforms the new believer is that it transforms the value system of that new believer. Before you get saved, the things of the world, the things of the flesh are seen as valuable. They are seen as the things to pursue in this life. But after you get saved, those things are seen, as Paul says in verse number 8, as dung. They are garbage. Uh, they are trash in comparison to the surpassing value of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for Paul, his pre-religion or his pre-Christ pursuits were religious in nature. He was a deeply religious person. But for different folks, different strokes. For you, your pre-conversion pursuits may not have been religious in nature. Maybe you pursued money. Maybe you pursued a girlfriend. Maybe it was a pursuit of a career. Maybe it was just a pursuit of a great social life. I, I don't know what it was for you, but when you met Jesus Christ, all of those other pursuits were seen as dung in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter what your value system was. It doesn't matter how great your life was. It doesn't matter how rich you were or how poor you were. When you met the Lord Jesus Christ, He was seen as more valuable to you than anything else in life. 
And the Bible describes this transformation as being trans translated from the kingdom of darkness, as, as going from darkness to light. Boy, when you meet Christ, you see things in a different light. You see things that you did not see before you saw, before you met Christ. Right. It's described elsewhere in the Bible as going from death to life. There is a real, there is a, a new life, there's a new vibrancy inside of you that realizes that Christ is in all. He is worth more than anything that this, this world has to offer. Yeah. And Paul sums up what he discovered in salvation in verse number 9 here in chapter number 3. He says, and to be found in him. Be found in him. He realized that Christ was satisfactory to his own soul. And he goes on in verse number 9 to say, Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Not only, was, not only in salvation did Paul realize that Christ would satisfy his deepest needs, but he realized that the righteousness of Christ was satisfactory to the justice of God. Christ did for him what he could not do for himself. And boy, that is what salvation is. When I got saved, I was put into Jesus Christ. I was found in him. And I was freshly clothed in the righteousness of God. Or the righteousness of Christ. So every single accusation that could ever be brought against me is answered with one of those two, with one of those two points. I am found in him and I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As the song says that we sang, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. But what Paul realized at salvation was that, that Christ was not only, he was not the destination so much. He was the beginning of a lifelong pursuit. Uh, in a wonderful paradox, salvation, in salvation we not only learn that Christ satisfies our deepest longings. Not only do we learn that he meets our greatest needs. But we also gain a sanctified dissatisfaction. Because when I got saved, I did not see Jesus Christ with my physical eyes. I was not with him in the flesh. And there is now a dissatisfaction in my heart, a sanctified dissatisfaction, whereby I long for the day that I will see him with my eyes. I long for the day that I will be with him in the flesh. And if you're here and you're saved, you know that to be true. When you got saved, there is now a longing to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a longing to see Him, to be, uh, to, be, to be with Him. And really what Paul is expressing in Philippians chapter 3 is that the essence of Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's the essence of Christianity. It's a relationship with Him. And that's really what separates Christianity from all other religions. In fact, Christianity can hardly be described as religion. It is really a relationship. That's what it's all about. We are all about knowing Christ more. We are all about making Christ known to this world. We are all about coming to know Him in a, at a greater and more intimate level. So as we consider the passage tonight, verse number 10 specifically, and we consider the ambition of Paul and of every believer to know Christ more, I want you to see how in verse number 10... Paul neatly lists for us the individual components of the ultimate Christian pursuit. See, first of all, the, Christian, the ambition of the Christian is to know the person Christ. He says in verse number 10, that I may know Him. That I may know Him. You can really sense the weight of Paul's words, can't you? 
These are some weighty words. Paul is not speaking in trivial terms. He is not saying the cliches. He is not giving lip service to what he knows to be the responsibility of the Christian. Paul is deadly serious about his pursuit to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Scripture, the word know really has three different uh, um, dimensions to it. Obviously, the word know has a connection to truth and understanding. Uh, that's the most obvious uh, uh, definition of the word know. In Scripture, the word know also has a practical dimension to it. To know something is to incorporate it into your daily life. Job said, to depart from evil is understanding. It has a practical dimension. Uh, but, but to know Christ also has a personal dimension. Uh, to know in Scripture has a personal dimension. To know someone is to enter a most intimate relationship with them. Scripture says of Adam, Adam knew Eve. He, he knew uh, his wife. So Scripture does not refer to the sexual union between Adam and Eve in those terms in order to avoid explicitly sexual language. We know elsewhere that it doesn't avoid that kind of language. But rather it uses the word no to, to point out that marriage is truly a deep, intimate relationship between a man and a wife. And when Paul says that he wants to know Christ, uh, really we see all three of these dimensions at work here. To know Christ obviously is to know truth. It is to have an understanding of truth. To know Christ is to have eternal life. Uh, to know Christ has practical consequences as well, and we'll see that in just a minute as we uh, consider the next couple of phrases that Paul makes. But the most obvious meaning of Paul's statement here is, is this personal intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is, I want to know Him. I want to have a, I want to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not willing to know Christ through secondhand information. Paul was not going to be satisfied with simply what he heard about Jesus. He was not going to be satisfied with simply knowing someone who knew Christ. Paul's all-consuming desire, his greatest life passion was to know Christ more personally, more intimately. This was not the goal of the month. It was not the resolution of the year. It was not the plan for the day. It was his all-consuming passion for his entire life. And this ought to be the pursuit of every Christian here. Now someone here might be tempted to say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. Of course that was his ambition. And, and maybe you would suggest that he's a little different from us. And I would, um, of course he was a little different from us. He was an apostle. We are not apostles. No one here is an apostle. No one living is, is an apostle. But as we have explored the previous verses that precede this passage, we've seen that what is driving the ambition or what has driven the ambition of Paul was not the fact that he was an apostle. It was not the fact that he saw the Lord Jesus with his own eyes and thereby qualifying him or partially qualifying him to be an apostle. But rather what drove the ambition to know Christ was simply that he was found in him. That he, was, that, that he had experienced the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And that, my friends, is no different from our own experience. Paul's ambition was driven by his salvation experience. And so our Christian ambition is also driven by the same experience. I would ask you, have you tasted the goodness of God in salvation? Have you not experienced the free grace of Christ in salvation? 
You who were an enemy of God, are you not now a child of God? You were her, who were guilty of sin, are you now, now justified and stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Now, if you have experienced that, Shouldn't there be a great appreciation and admiration and longing to know the Lord Jesus Christ more than you already do? You know, if Jesus was willing to die on the cross, if He was willing to do what He did in order to be united with you, how can I be dis disinterested in Him? How in you can how how in you and I can be, how can you and I be apathetic towards Him? And yet I wonder if you identify with the statement of the Apostle Paul here in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him. Do you want to know the Lord Jesus tonight? Or does your relationship go with him go no farther than simply him being hellfire insurance? Do you want to know him more? Do you want to walk with him? Do you want to go through life with him ever so near to you? Do you want to know what he likes and doesn't like? Do you want to conform your life to what he likes and don't like? This is what it is to be a Christian. It is to want to know Him more. We don't get introduced to Christ at salvation in order to ignore Him the rest of our earthly lives. We don't get introduced to Him at salvation in order to get that insurance from, from hell, that salvation from hell, only to walk away from that relationship with Him. But how often does the message of the Spirit to the church at Ephesus fit us? that I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Do we not identify with the lyrics of the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We get so wrapped up in the pursuits of this life, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes sinful, sometimes wholesome. We get so entangled with the things of this earth, the earthly things that we pursue, that we forget to continue in our pursuit of the greatest ambition in our entire lives, and that is the pursuit to know Him more. You know, for some of you here, it's sad to say, but 2000, in 2023, you read your Bible less than you had ever read your Bible before. For some of you, maybe in 2023, you prayed less than you prayed in any other year before. And that is not the direction that a Christian ought to be going. We are to be getting stronger in our faith, growing more and more closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask you, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you sense in your own heart, in your own mind, a desire, a, great, a greater desire for the things of this earth than the, for the for things of Christ. Maybe you sense an apathy towards the Lord Jesus Christ that didn't used to be there. And I would call you tonight back to reorient your ambitions, to rearrange your priorities in life, and to make Him your greatest ambition in life. Make it your goal in 2024 to be more committed to Him than ever before. Make it your ambition this year to love Him more than ever before. Make it your pursuit this year to, to know Him more intimately than you have ever known Him before. But Paul doesn't stop in verse number 10 with this phrase that I may know Him. He continues on adding some color to this statement. In verse number 10, notice what he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. The ambition of the Christian is to possess the power of Christ. He says, the power of His resurrection. Earlier, we briefly discussed the practical application, the practical consequences of knowledge. And here we see that. Christ is, uh, Paul does not only want to know in an intimate personal relationship, but he wants to experience the power of Jesus Christ. He wants the resurrection power of Christ 
to be active in his own life. He's speaking in terms of experience. You know, the greatest demonstration of the power of God anywhere, and certainly the power of Christ, was the rest, was his being raised from the dead on the third day. Uh, Romans 1 says that he was declared to be the Son of God with power. It was a great demonstration of the power of God, the power of Christ to be raised from the dead on the third day. And what we find in the New Testament is that when we get saved, we are mysteriously and wonderfully united to the Lord Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul adds uh, or really helps us and, and explains this doctrine of our union with Christ. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse number 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Now when Paul says baptized, you cannot think of water baptism. He's not referring to water baptism in Romans chapter 6, verse number 3. But he is referring to the spiritual act whereby we are united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. In verse number 4, Paul goes on, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It is a wonderful and mysterious truth that when we got saved, we were, as verse number 9 of Philippians 3 says, we were found in Him. We were put into the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the wonderful doctrine of our union with Jesus Christ. When you got saved, you were entered into a new legal union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through this new legal union with Him, you were then put into the family of God. You were the bride, you were put into the bride of Christ. Through this union, you are justified. You are forgiven of, of your sins. This is a wonderful, a wonderful truth. And what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 is, I want to know the power of His resurrection. This is something that we have access to by virtue of this union with Christ. And that's why Paul says here in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6 that we, should, we also should walk in the newness of life. There is a freedom, a newness, a freshness to life through our access to the resource of the resurrection power of Christ. And if you're saved here tonight, I know we so oftentimes hear these truths and they, they become, our hearts become calloused to these wonderful truths. But just think about it for just a moment. If you're here tonight and you are saved, you have access to the real, literal power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Not a diminished version of the power that raised Him from the dead, but the full, real power that raised Him from the dead. What a wonderful truth that is. What a wonderful resource that is to everyone that is born again here today. And the reality is, is that through the power of the resurrection of Christ, through that same power, we now have access to overcome the temptations that come into our life. Because of that, that resurrection power that is now active in your life if you're saved, there is no temptation that has taken you. There is no temptation that can automatically over, overcome you. There is no sin that you cannot avoid. Through this resurrection power, you now have the power to, to be an effective witness. You now have the power to be an effective a servant of the Lord God. It's a wonderful access. It's a wonderful reality. It's a wonderful truth for us. And you may not realize it tonight, but apart from the resurrection power being active in your life, you are as good as dead. 
You are completely impotent in your efforts to please the Lord Jesus Christ, to please God apart from the resurrection power of Christ. But you are not dead. You have been granted access to the very resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3.10 is he wanted to experience the power of Christ more. He wanted to experience the resurrection power of Christ more in his life. Now, the accusation might be levied against Paul here that the reason he wanted to know Christ more was because of what he could have gotten out of Christ. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Of course, he did want something from Christ. He wanted that power of the resurrection. But I don't think the Apostle Paul is, and by the way, so many of us are like that, aren't we? We, we want that relationship with Christ because of what we can get from Christ. We only pray when there's a difficulty that prompts us to pray. We only seek guidance in our life when there's a big decision that we don't want to mess up. Maybe a big purchase that we don't want to mess up. That's when we go to the Lord in prayer. And the possible accusation could be levied against Paul here in Philippians 3 that he wanted that relationship with Christ because of what he could have gotten out of Christ. He wanted that resurrection power. However, I think when we examine the remainder of the passage, we find that not to be the case. The Apostle Paul wanted to know Christ, and his, knowledge of, his, his desire for the knowledge of Christ drove his desire for the resurrection power. And we see that the one primary ambition of the Apostle Paul is to know Jesus Christ, because not only does he want to know the resurrection power of Christ, but read the rest of the verse, that I may know Him the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. There's a lot of Christians that want access to the resurrection power of Christ. There's a lot of Christians that would stand up and say, I want to know Him more. There's not as many Christians that would say, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. But that leads us to our final point this evening, that the ambition of the Christian is to walk in the sufferings of Christ. Now, you may notice here that the order is reversed. It seems to be reversed anyway. I would think that it is, I want to know Him, the fellowship of His sufferings, and the power of His resurrection. Because that's the order in which it happened in Christ's life. Christ was crucified, and then He was, he was raised from the dead on the third day. And yet, for the Christian, it is actually the exact, exact opposite. We experience the resurrection of Christ first, and then we are called to walk in the, in the sufferings of Christ. We are called to die to flesh, die to self daily. So Paul does this intentionally. But what we see here is, I want you to notice that, ver, that, that, that word there, the fellowship of his sufferings. What an interesting, unique word to use in this context. The fellowship, fellowship of his sufferings. Again, Paul's talking about an experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just that he wants to know Christ intimately, but it's that he wants to be more like Jesus Christ as well. And yet, I find in, in life that, that if you do want to know somebody more, more intimately, that the best way to know more about them is to experience things with them, to share experience with, experiences with them, especially troubled experiences, things that are difficult to go through in life. I think back to uh, what is probably the greatest difficulty in, uh, in, in mine and Anna's marriage, in, in our 
short time of being married, the, the one most difficult thing that we've ever had to walk through uh, when our first child was born, having that heart surgery a few days after she was born. And in that experience, that shared experience, my, my wife and I were drawn together more than we had ever been. Uh, it was a unique experience. It was a unique shared experience. And those of you that have done really any experience with some other person, you, you, you know how that bond is, is strengthened. It's fortified through shared experiences, especially the troubles of life. When you go through the difficulties of life with somebody, when you hold hands with somebody through a dark valley, that bond is fortified. That bond is strengthened, unlike anything outside of that valley you walk through. And I think that's what Paul is hitting at, what he's hinting at here in verse number 2, the fellowship of his sufferings. What Paul really wants, what he really desperately wants, is to know Christ more. And the best way to know Christ is to share some experiences with Him, especially difficult experiences. When you walk through the valley with the Lord Jesus Christ, you learn to know Him. You grow more intimate with Him than in any other part of your life. You, you can learn Christ. You can know Christ more in the dark times of life, in the times of suffering, far greater than you can in times that are easy in life. And yet, I think, I think we have difficulty with this phrase, do we not? The fellowship, I mean, let's, let's be honest. That I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Part of this does not fit with the other part, does it not? I want to know Him. I want to know the power of His resurrection, but I would prefer to know Him more intimately through the easy times in life. If possible, I would prefer to know Christ Without the difficulty, is that possible? And yet Paul, Paul would know, Paul recognizes that the only way I can grow more intimately with Christ, the only way I can grow as intimately with Christ as I would like to, is to go through the dark times, is to suffer, especially in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, Paul would know that, wouldn't he? Paul, beaten, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Persecuted, persecuted like nobody else. And Paul knew, Paul knew what it was like to suffer. And yet in those sufferings, uh, he's, he can speak to the closeness, the nearness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, in, and here's the attitude that we've got to catch. Paul embraced the difficulties. He didn't say, Lord, I want to know you. And if it takes those difficult times then so be it. But I would prefer not to, have, not to go through the difficult times. But the attitude of the Apostle Paul here is, Lord, I embrace the sufferings. I embrace the fellowship of your sufferings in order to know, to know you more. That is the ambition of the believer. It is to know him more. I ask you, Christian, here, do you want to know him more? Is that your ambition? Or are, are, have the things of this earth, the things of this world, the things of the flesh, have they distracted you from what is our greatest ambition in life to know Him more? I would call you, if that's you, to repent of that and to, to get back in track. Reorient your priori priorities. Rearrange your priorities. Reorient your ambitions to want to know Him more, to know the power of His resurrection, to have victory over sin like never before to know the fellowship of his sufferings. 
that when we go through the difficult times, that they bring about a nearness, a closeness that we did not previously have in our walk with Him. Let's, let's pray this evening. Father, I pray that our time around Your Word has been beneficial. I pray that we all that are born again would want to know You more. Lord, maybe there's someone here that's apathetic in their pursuit to You. Lord, I pray that You would touch their heart, touch the cold heart of that believer and give them that warmth, that desire to follow You, to pursue You more. And for those that do want to pursue You, Lord, help us to not get distracted by the things of this earth, but to be single-minded in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.